0: Hey everybody, the Reheal Show podcast is brought to you by Alamo Remedy CBD. Look, there's a lot of CBD companies out there, but Alamo Remedy is for Texans by Texans and built in Texas. But don't get it wrong, they ship everywhere. So if you're listing somewhere else, you can get Alamo Remedy CBD products. And now why Alamo Remedy? Well, your wellness shouldn't break the bank. And that's why they price all of their products at just plus you're going to save 10 percent off with promo code unicorn so everybody you can now afford them you can get into the cbd game and try out cbd products i've endorsed other cbd companies before and i always told my friends like hey just wait for a promo code because this is way too expensive and now you can try out cbd and get a high quality product that is by the way third party lab tested so it's thc free They have zero toxins, zero animal testing, zero contaminants and zero BS in their products. It is a great product. I love the CBD gummies. They also have a lotion that is cucumber melon scented. They've got capsules, so if you want the perfect dosage, you can take a capsule. And they have the tincture, which is one of the classic ways to do it. You put a drop underneath your tongue, let it sit there for 30 seconds, and you get the benefits of CBD. Look, I just get I feel better. I get ready for my workout. I feel like I'm ready for my workout. So I love CBD products. I love the CBD gummies. Try them out. It's only $17.99. Alamoremedy.com. Alamo, Alamo, R-E-M-E-D-Y.com. Use promo code UNICORN and get 10% off all products plus free shipping on orders over $49. Alamoremedy.com. For Texans, by Texans. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Reheal Show podcast. Got a really cool episode here for you today. Joel Anderson. You've heard me talk about the Slow Burn podcast a bunch of times. Well, I finally got Joel on with me and my buddy David Nuno. We talked about Slow Burn, the podcast, Tupac and Biggie. We talked about Houston. We talked about sports reopening up and so much more. I enjoyed this conversation. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Here he is, Joel Anderson.
1: So I'm gonna bring on the aforementioned Joel. What's going on, my man?
2: Hey Dave, thanks for having me on, bro. Thank uh, you. So like,
1: it. the the you know it's usually a team effort between me and Raheel, right? So he's frozen in <laughs> outer space. Uh, he handles the technical stuff. I try to handle some of the other stuff. But uh, he'll he'll join us here in a what minute. What timing,
2: by the way? I mean, what timing on it? Like as soon as you guys went live, like it was, you know, man, we, we were behind the channels having a great chit chat. I know, right? The Wi-Fi, nothing. Right, right. I was like, all right, well, I guess you know he can drop out. He can, he can join our show. Uh, there we go.
1: <laughs> so, so I'm fascinated by your journey, man. So you, you were and for those who don't know, and I, I know a lot of people. You have a huge following on social media. Uh, Slate magazine. You're, you're in Palo Alto, roughly close to there. Mm-hmm. How did your, your, how did you get there? Because I mean, you were
2: in Houston. You went to TCU. Like, how, how did we get to Cali? Man, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, well, long story short. Oh, girl, uh, got me to Cali. Uh, <laughs> but um, I lived—I've lived all over, man. Since I graduated from TCU, I, you know, I lived in Dallas and Oklahoma and Louisiana and uh, Florida, Atlanta, and you know, I, for, you know, maybe about a decade ago, I started working in New York, and I was at BuzzFeed uh, for a while as a sports reporter, and then I became a national correspondent. And moved down to DC, met the woman who is now my wife. And she got a uh, journalism fellowship here at Stanford, and so we moved out here in 2015, and we just stuck around. Like she's from the Bay, um, I've always wanted to live out here. Uh, and it's just beautiful, man. So, you know, I, I, um, I, you know, I, I want to come back home. I want to be back in Houston at some point. I mean, I come home as often as I can. Uh, but yeah, man, we've been out here for a minute, and you know, I guess I'm a, Cal- I'm a Cali dude. This is the longest I've ever lived that wasn't Houston uh, somewhere. Like, I've never lived anywhere as long as I've lived out here. For those just getting
1: on the show, welcome to Joel and Nuno's show with our special guest, Raheel Ramzanali, who decided <laughs> to <rob laughs> yeah,
0: Welcome to the
2: show, right?
0: Man, sorry about that. No, sorry. Yeah, it just wasn't meant to be for me, I guess. I don't know. So what's the most California thing that that you've incorporated? Like, you know, the, the tropes and the memes of California. What's the most flip-flops. California thing about you? Flip-
2: I wear flip-flops all day long, bro. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just... That's what I do. I mean, I've, if I if I have to put on pants and any day, I'm so frustrated. You know, I was like, man not you know, I don't feel like putting on pants and you know, I just kind of go outside in my shorts and my flip flops. And um, probably the other thing is I really got into burritos when I got out here. You know, what I'm saying? I wasn't a burrito dude, but uh, man, you know, the Bay Area burritos really, you know, hit me off. I, they, they convinced me. They convinced me of its superiority. So I'm into that now.
1: Joe, so when I uh, I lived in San Diego for a little bit, and they introduced me to the California burrito. Yeah, man, that was a de- that's no joke. That's a that's a burrito right there, my friend.
2: It's real, it's real, and I mean, I guess like you know, Tex-Mex. We have all sorts of things, and I, you know, I, you know, nothing will replace the love I have for Tex-Mex. But a good replacement are these burritos. And in fact, there's a uh, Filipino burrito place out here uh, called Senor CC, and they put fries on the burrito. You know what I mean? And it's just. I mean, that's like my cheat meal for the week. You know what I mean? Like, I, like whenever, whenever we can get up into the city, like, that's where I'm trying to get to go.
0: Nice. That's what uh, San Diego does, right, Nuno? Don't they put the fries, the carne yep. asada? Uh, and, of course, you got to have guacamole in there because it wouldn't be California without a little guacamole. So, right. Um, so, Joel, we're going to talk to you about a lot of different things. And as, uh, you know, people join in, man, we're so excited to have you on. Of course, David mentioned Houston's Own. But we like to do a thing called The Same Five Questions with the guest. That we always have Alright, so we're going to start up We'll go quickly And then we'll get into Slow Burn Season 3 Which I got to tell you How I listen to it You're going to love it okay. uh, So let's get it Same five questions Number one What is one song you wish Everybody would listen to At least once in their life?
2: Oh, um, okay um, Dying a Thirst Sing of Me by Kendrick Lamar I think it's the best song In the history of rap And uh, the storytelling in it Is unbelievable uh, whatever I'm suffering from writer's block, I turn that song on and I, 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 and I just hope I was like, God, just give me whatever. Give me half of whatever Kendrick had on that day. Um, I just think it's an amazing storytelling and it's just 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 a beautiful song. So, yeah.
0: All right. What's one thing you always have to have in your fridge?
2: Soy milk. Uh, I eat oatmeal like three times a
0: day. So I saw that. yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. That's you were my, on an oatmeal cake there for a bit.
2: That's my that's my joint. You know what I'm saying? So I so I don't just you know <laughs> taking so many bad carbs or whatever because I like you know I'm from Texas. I'm, I you know I eat a lot. You know, and uh, so so I need I need the soy milk to wet it up a little bit. So that's right.
0: definitely soy milk. What's one place you want to visit that you haven't yet?
2: And like in the world, like in, in life?
0: World. In life? Oh man,
2: Uruguay. All right, Montevideo, Uruguay. Yeah, man. I don't. I don't know. I like read about. I, like, I saw. I watched the Copa once. Once, and uh, I just started rooting for them for some reason. I read up a little bit on Uruguay, and I was like, "Boom! Hmm, that seems like a fun place to go visit." So, yeah. all right,
0: there you go. So you took something from sports, and then th- now it's become your joint.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. That or <laughs> that or Portugal. That or Portugal. One of those. Portugal
0: things. looks awesome. Yeah. All right. Who's one person alive you want to meet and have coffee with?
2: Ooh. Um. Man, you know, I think it would be dope to talk to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I, I read his uh, autobiography when I was in high school. You know, back in the day, I don't know, when I, the way my parents got me into reading is like they just bought me a whole bunch of autobiographies. I read his Giant Steps, um, that I think came out of the early 80s. And I just was always really impressed with him and his life and his journey. And because he doesn't talk a lot, you know what I mean? Like he writes a lot, but I just feel like he doesn't talk a lot. And I, I would just love to talk to him about his life.
0: David, did you get to meet? Uh, did you get to meet him at the Final Four when it was here I, in sixteen? Right, sixteen.
2: I did.
1: Uh, he was he was polite to me. I heard a, about a different encounter with our little buddy. I won't say his name. <laughs> um, that he thought he was the driver, of the chauffeur. He treated him a little bit. Uh, Kareem was great when I've dealt with him. Um, and 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 I don't know about what, what you think, Joel, but it, it's my experience. Some of those old school guys really understood what we do uh, as broadcasters, as journalists. and, and I'm not saying the, the guys today don't Was mm-hmm. a different relationship because social media has made that their voice, as opposed oh. to back in the day, we were the, you know, they landed us their voice to tell their story.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We were sort of the, the you know, I guess the middle, uh, people, uh, so to speak. Right. But and now they all have their own outlets. And I totally understand. I, I get why they want to bypass, you know, uh, bypass the media today. But um, yeah, and no, I totally get that. And I mean, you know, I think Kareem always sort of got hit with the he was not very friendly to media and sort of aloof and all that stuff. But I think a lot of that is he was burned a lot in his life, man. You know, he went through a lot. I mean, he boycotted the 68 Olympics, changed his name, converted to Islam, you know, very early in his life. And he probably had a, you know, I imagine he had a very difficult uh, experience with the media at that time, people trying to understand him. And so um, I that's I would just love to hear him go in depth a little bit about some of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I didn't like him growing up because you know the Rockets and the Lakers, you know what I mean, and uh, they were in the way. But uh, I I came around on them.
0: That's awesome. All right, final question: What's one app on your phone that you want to delete but you just can't?
2: Oh, uh, Slack. I hate Slack. Slack.
0: (laughs) I've never figured out Slack. I know Nuno, you like Nuno's like you got to learn Slack. I can't figure it out.
1: It, it it works for what I do in our industry for sending video to the station quickly,
2: but mm-hmm. I, I don't know what other else, why else people use it to chat. Like I'm good, just text me. Oh, it's just it's it's totally a distraction. Like I mean, I I love Twitter. Anybody that follows me knows I love Twitter. But I'm in control of the communication, and I can you know get out whenever I want. Slack allows people to have access to me all the time uh, from work, and I was like, I want to be away from work. I just I just think you know I'm not a big fan of it. I've had to. They've had to convince me it worked to uh, get accustomed to it.
0: I love it. All right, so those are the same five questions with Joel Anderson. All right, Joel, let's talk about uh, the restart of sports, all right, because uh, this is such an interesting topic in terms of, one, we're dealing with a pandemic as a society, right? We're trying to figure this out and navigate it. Then you add the extra layer of sports into it and, you know, leagues trying to figure it out. And then you've got multi-million dollar athletes, You've got their families now coming down to the bubble, potentially. First of all, where do you stand on sports restarting as of right now?
2: So I understand why um, all of these professional sports leagues and even colleges are trying to do this, right? Because there's lots of money at stake here. Um, if they don't play, they're forfeiting you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. There's an opportunity to uh, have a captive audience, basically. And players want to play. Like you only get so many game days, right, um, in your career. Especially, like if let's imagine if you're in the NFL, where the average career is about three years, and you miss a year, that's crazy, right? Like I can totally understand why they want to do it, but I always just come back to the fact that you know we're in a, a time and a place right now where numbers are skyrocketing all around the country, um, and you know in terms of coronavirus infections, particularly down there in Houston, right? And we haven't really seen a protocol or any system that indicates to me that we know how to stop the spread of this thing yet, but but for staying at home. Um, and so I think it's wrong to be trying to play sports in the middle of all this. I just remember when the NBA uh, shut down on March 11th and it symbolized something to the rest of the country, right? Like It was like, oh, this is very serious. We need to shut down things. And it's sort of You know uh, set the example for so many other institutions and agencies and everything else and things haven't gotten any better since then right like things are worse and i think by trying to start up and starting up would send a really bad signal to a lot of other people um that we're through this and that we deserve sports And right now we haven't shown that we're a functional society we haven't shown that we deserve sports right now i mean I, i i i i'm probably I can totally imagine that people think that I'm being outrageous and that this is like an extreme opinion. Um, but I just think that it's wrong. I think, you know, for, for us to be trying to do this right now, I don't think we need sports that bad. I don't think people want to see sports. Do y'all want to? I mean, do people miss Titans versus the Jags that much? You know what I mean? <laughs> <No>. like, <laughs> well, it, it, this is where I struggle with it, Joel, because selfishly, of
1: course, I want it back. It's uh, A, what keeps me employed. B, right. it's, it's entertainment and drama for me and the storylines and whatnot. And then I'm watching what they're doing in Europe. I, I watch a lot of soccer, and they figured out a way to make it work. Um, you know, in in Spain, they have played all their games in, in, in England and Germany, and you don't hear about the outbreaks. I know there are outbreaks again in Spain. Don't get me wrong, but at least it hasn't infiltrated the teams. Uh, but then I think about you know short-minded. Like, well, what does it mean for you know if we go to a game? And then I bring it to my parents, and what about my children and and whatnot? So I think there's so much information out there. That I don't know what to believe, and I'm going to read this this post from Kathy, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on it. She goes, "If we can't have political conventions, we shouldn't have sports." I, I think they're kind of
2: different, but I understand where she's going with it. Yeah, I mean, I just having large gatherings of people at this time seems irresponsible, and I, you know, we all part of the sports thing is that we talk about safety of the players, right? Which is very important. That's something that should be considered. All of these teams. Have support staff. They have coaches that are at risk. I mean, Houston alone has the oldest major league baseball manager, Dusty Baker, who's seventy-one, and the oldest NBA head coach, in Mike D'Antoni, is sixty-nine. Those those are dudes that, if they get infected, we have no. There's no certainty that they'll come through it. You know what I mean? So um, I just, for the, the good and for the good of everyone, and for the safety of everyone, I just think it'd be good if we could slow down. And I mean, yeah, the other countries they have had. A functioning government a functioning system where they've been able to mitigate a lot of the the, the infection rates and all that other stuff and so yeah of course like they could get back to sports because they've done things that we haven't been willing to do here
0: you know the other point you bring up is what does that signal to the rest of the country right and let's let's stay within sports itself what does it signal to high schools what does it signal to middle schools and whatnot and uh, david i know you're doing a few stories on this right now regarding what are we doing with summer uh days right like uh, guys training now coaches are trying to figure this out what happens when colleges now you know as we start the testing and ramping up we figure out the numbers what happens with that so what what happens on the pro level is going to impact everything below it and that's another angle that I don't think we're talking about enough as well
2: yeah i mean you guys i mean university of houston started up had to stop um, you know, and I, I I think about like I talked with some high school coaches for a story I'm working on right now, and they were just going through all the you know well, we're going to have this protocol where the kids go this way and they you know they, they, they don't interact with each other and then they got to go straight home and I'm like when have teenagers ever done exactly what you told them to do you know what I mean yeah like if the protocol is dependent on teenagers doing what they're told to do we have no
0: hope <laughs> Joe when have grown adults done what they're told to do forget teenagers right (laughs) right right. just i mean dude imagine telling james harden oh dog
2: you gotta stay right here in this bubble bro you know you can't go anywhere else he's multi-millionaire used to doing whatever the hell he wants in life but no man you got to stay here we've got card games you know what i mean like you can you know you can ride the teacups nah i just it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense
1: it's a scary time and and i'll bring it back to youth sports because we struggle with the internal dialogue as parents my kids are all in soccer we're yep. going to soccer practice. It is outdoors. It's an hour and a half. They're not really touching each other. They're all staying in there. But then there's that justification in your head. If you're not willing to go to school, how are you willing to let them go to soccer? Right. There are different types of environments, but it's still, I think about a bit until we figure out how to slow down this virus. I mean,
2: everything is in question, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I totally get like the importance of being outside and like, there's obviously a, a other sides to it. Like, socialization is important for humans and especially kids. Like I can like them being stuck in the house for months on end. Like that's, I mean, that, that sounds terrible. Um, and I, I, that did, there does need to be something to be done and maybe having practices where they don't touch each other or being outside, like all that stuff is valuable, but we just haven't figured it out. Like, and that's the thing that it's just really sort of worrisome. And we, we just haven't figured it out and we haven't really committed to anything that would protect people um, so, on, 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 you know, over a long amount of time. So I guess I, I don't know, man. I, I wish I had the answers, but I, it seems to be that the best way is for us all to stay at home. <laughs> you know, like, bottom line, like that's the easiest way to stop all this and we can get back to regular life or whatever regular life will look like on the other side of this. Well, Joe,
1: obviously none of us here are uh, decision makers, but let, let's look into the crystal ball. Does baseball finish? Does basketball finish? Does the MLS finish? It's already lost two teams. I mean, does the NFL even start? I mean, at this rate, if everything stays at how it is right now,
2: man, I mean, no way. I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't see how it. I don't even see how it's going to get started. But I definitely don't see how it'll end. Um, I mean, ju- dude, just imagine. Like I was talking about this with somebody the other day. Like imagine you're going into Red Rivalry Weekend, right? The Red River Rivalry, and UT loses this entire. Linebacking core, you know, because everybody, somebody got infected. You know, like, is that the game you want to see? Is that the, like, is that, you really want it that bad under those circumstances? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Or, or Sam Ellinger, like, you know, gets, you know, gets infected and misses, you know, has to miss the game. I mean, I guess football deals with that all the time with concussions or whatever, but this is totally different. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I, I don't, I just, I, you know, I, I, t- I understand why people want sports. I miss sports. I, you know, I don't like, I don't love many things like I love fall Saturdays, you know, um, but I'm willing to forego it if it means that we can I can see my parents again.
0: You know? yeah. That was and, and that was the whole thing. When You know, David, we've been doing these shows for the entire pandemic now. And we had Peter Burns from ESPN on and we were bringing this up. Like why if we have to think about canceling Texas versus LSU, a game that we've been looking forward to Ooh. the rematch and all that, Ooh. then maybe we're not ready. Right. Like Ooh. you can't play that game in front of nobody or 10,000 people. Yeah, dude. Right. Like they they canceled the Olympics. You know what <laughs> I mean, they canceled the
2: Olympics, man. The Olympics are a moneymaker above and beyond any of that stuff. And they were like, "Nah, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. They walked away from all that. money. so we we're, we're here talking about Texas versus Baylor. You know what I mean? Are we really are we talking about Oklahoma State versus Kansas State? Seriously? Come on. Joel, it feels a little disingenuous than following up with this, like,
1: because we all kind of don't know what's going to happen. But what about the Rockets, man? <laughs> Under this no. kind of circumstance. No. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, man. Uh, uh, arrested
2: James Harden, Russell Westbrook, watch out. I know, man. I, You know, I I was so curious to see how they were going to be able to figure it out, um, you know, down the line. Because it seemed like they had kind of gotten to a rhythm later in the year, right? Um I would love to see that. I didn't think I still don't think they could beat like the Clippers or the Lakers. You know what I mean? But I still wanted to see them get a shot for it. Actually, you know, while we're talking about the Rockets, I'm still kind of upset that they gave up on Chris Paul early. Like I love Russell Westbrook, yeah. but I just think they panicked. I just I just think I think that if they had kept that team together and added some pieces, I don't know how they would have added pieces with Chris Paul's uh, you know, salary, but um I would have I would have liked to have seen them run it back. Because I, I thought they were really, really close. I mean, man, people just don't understand. Like, if, if people looked at the Rockets as a failure because they lost to the best team in the NBA, like one of the best teams we've ever seen in NBA history, and they were so close, and they provided a blueprint. The, Rock, the Rockets don't get enough credit for showing the NBA that the Warriors were indeed beatable. You know, no, but
0: it it was that that the year after, how you know they they have. The, it's an elimination game. There's no Kevin Durant for sure. He's hurt. And then mm-hmm. Steph Curry goes off. And it's right. like the way that series yeah. ended, it left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And, you know, Chris Paul, he Chris Paul had issues that year. Like there, there's no denying that. But you see how he looks now. And I'm so happy for him that he's provided this spark and leadership for a young Oklahoma City team. And I would love to see a Rockets Oklahoma City first round matchup, which is possible.
2: That would, that would hurt. But I, you know, and I'm not even sure that the Rockets, I mean, you know, as much as I want to see them, I still think that's the the, the thing about the Rockets is that they have to be making their shots. And if they're not, anybody can beat them, anybody mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And, like, I was like, uh, I don't know, man. The Thunder. You know, I, I, real quick, I, so I was listening to Chris Paul went on a podcast with Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson yep. the other week, the Knuckleheads. And so he spends the whole podcast talking about all these teammates he loved playing with. He's like, oh, man, Trevor Ariza was my boy. David West was my boy. Tyson Chandler, we had that. He never mentioned the word James Harden. So that probably is why, like, you know, I don't know what the internal conversations were like, but if if it's like that, then maybe.
0: No, it was know. legit. I, yeah. Those two didn't. Those two butted heads.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And, but I think that that can be good. Right. Like. The NBA is such a player-driven league, and when you're superstar, and nobody's denying that James is a top three, four talent, right? right. But I think Chris was exactly what James needed, and 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 James, and Chris sometimes he'll he runs his mouth a little bit too much, so people turn him off, right? Right, but right, right. He got them as close as you're going to get, and mm-hmm. when he's healthy, yeah. they probably
2: beat the Warriors two of those three years. Oh yeah, I mean, I, the, uh, but for a, a a tweaky hamstring, man, you know they're probably winning the championship that year. Um, And I don't know. Yeah, I was so disappointed in the end of last year. I'm glad you guys reminded me of that because that really hurt. Like, I was just like – first of all, I was like, well, if Kevin Durant can't play and they beat them, it won't feel the same, but I'll get over it. But then when they they lost, I was like, damn. You know, I just – I mean, I didn't want to – I, I just cut off Twitter for a few days. I was like, I don't, wanna, I don't yeah, want to. That
0: was there. so embarrassing. Yeah, It was, so it was
2: humiliating. It really was. Yeah.
1: Hey, let me just say this. And I feel like I always have to defend James Harden when I destroy him. <laughs> I, I love James, okay? But some of the playoff eliminations he's been a part of Ooh. are some of the most embarrassing. And actually, Houston sports teams in general you know, you can look at the Astros, the way they lost in game seven against the Nationals. You can look at the way the Texans have routinely lost under the Bill O'Brien regime in playoff games. And just in general, they made it a lot. So props to him for there. Mm-hmm. And, and the Spurs loss. Uh, how many turnovers did James have in that, that oh, series? Golden
0: State, 13. Where, oh, where everybody man. was
1: hurt. Everybody yeah. was hurt. Right? right? And they still. Yeah.
2: So I, Well, I mean, the, the, the way that I just remember, I mean, like, we're talking Houston in playoff eliminations. Like, I grew up with the Oilers, right? And so I had that. And then remember when when the T Mac era Rockets lost, they went. I think they took the Mavs to a seventh game and lost by forty in Game Seven. Mm-hmm. Like it's just you just get used to you get used to that as a Houston a Houstonian man. If you like, if you if you're stupid enough to care about it, like <laughs> then, then this is what's going to happen to you over and over again.
0: And hey, at least the Texans got Patrick Mahomes paid and got <laughs> that rolling. So that's nice. You know what? Houston sports teams boosting the economy. So that's I mean, nice.
2: It's right, right, right. Hey, and a Texan at that, a native yeah. Texan. So, you
1: know. A- well a- In my unscientific poll, according to Facebook moms that are watching, nobody wants sports to come back. So th- we have it official right now.
0: <laughs> there you go. We got we to run this data down to the commissioners and let them know what's up.
2: That's right. That's right. I'm sure nobody will watch it if it's on TV, too, right? Man, um. base-
0: <laughs> baseball with no fans is going to be. That's going to be a hard watch.
2: I I was in Baltimore. Do you remember? So when uh, after the Freddie Gray death, I was in Baltimore for that game that they I think they played against the White Sox, and they played the game without any fans in the stands. I I, I covered that, and it was just so weird and so eerie, and like to do that on a to make that the rule for the season. Mm-hmm. I just you don't you don't realize how much fans matter to an atmosphere until you're not there. Um, and I just – I don't I don't think people are going to be excited about that, to be honest. I don't care how much you mic up the players. I just don't think it's going to be anything anybody wants to
0: see. All right. Uh, let's talk about Slow Burn Season 3. Uh So Slow Burn – the Slow Burn podcast is an excellent production done by Slate and Slate Plus. You guys have bonus episodes as well. Season 1 was about Watergate. Season 2 was about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And Season 3 is where you jumped in and took over for – Uh, slow burn and guided everyone with the deaths of Tupac and B.I.G., Notorious B.I.G., and what led up to it, the workings behind it, and me being, see, I was in middle school when all of this is going down. You guys are a little bit older than me, so you might, like, what you remember about it is totally different than what I remember about it being a Pakistani kid in Sugarland throwing up a West Side, right? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Right? So, like, to hear the inner workings of it and going deep, it was phenomenal. I highly Thanks. recommend it. I've been telling everyone to listen to it. Um, how long did it take, first of all, to get all the research going for this podcast? Man,
2: I mean, I had a really tight timeline. I, I um, So last year, I started it's Slate on May 1st, and we had to have the first episode done by... October, um the late October. And so in that time I read probably thirty books, read, you know, uh a couple, you know, maybe a dozen documentaries and movies. Um and of course, you know, Lexus Nexus reading all the old you know, contemporaneous accounts of that time. And yeah, man, it was just, it was a grind because I mean I think I'm a I'm a little hurt because some of the other seasons, like they had a little bit more time and you know, you're creating it from scratch just you know one thing and so you kind of build up to it right so the season one and season two they had that and season four which is taken over by uh, my homeboy he's you know he was the editor on season three that's a story he's been waiting to tell all his life i didn't kind of i didn't have that timeline um but i mean one thing that i learned and that i've always thought and it's funny you mentioned you know growing up in houston or whatever same you know same deal for me there wasn't as much information about this stuff like you would just hear the flashpoints, like somebody getting shot or the source awards maybe like maybe you might know about that right um but you know the, the the fights at source awards and you know all the turmoil that happened there and you get the feeling from afar that all of this was inevitable that it had to happen that it was building towards this point where both of these guys were going to die and the more research you do the more you talk to people that were around that time you see that it did not have to happen that way You know, just but for but for a handful of bad decisions and conversations that weren't had, um, you end up with this tragedy. But it was not inevitable, even though it seemed like it at the time.
1: You know, when I think about that time, I was in college for both of those. Uh, I remember where I was when Pac died. I remember Mm. where I was when when Christopher Wallace died. Mm. I had to say the first name. Yeah. Um, yeah, And it just it really changed, I think, the way we look at beef the way we look at music the way we look at all that uh and i think sometimes it's it's not enough mentioned about how influential those guys were be, beyond the music i mean if you mm-hmm. listen to pock interviews
2: that guy was i mean he was poetic when he spoke about anything yeah yeah oh man i mean i was not a huge pock fan growing up uh just like his i mean i listened to you know his music right but i was not like a fan you know and uh having access to all of his interviews and hearing him talk like that dude was brilliant. Like, I mean, he's, he, he was so intelligent. Like, I mean, not like, not for a rapper, not for a 24 year old, but for like anybody. Like he just had, um, he was so well-read, so thoughtful, um, so smart. It I just, you. anytime I look at that stuff, I'm like, man, what kind of man would he have been today? Like, you know, with the opportunities and different platforms, whatever, like what direction would he have gone in? Um, it's such a huge tragedy, but yeah, man, I, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I I I wish we could have had more time. I wish, cause there's there's people for the podcast that like, I would have loved to have had on it that if I'd had a little bit more time, we could have gotten Mm -hmm. them in there. Tupac was married. Not a lot of people know that Tupac was married when he was in prison uh, for his sexual uh, abuse case. And we, I know his wife, like if I texted his wife right now, she would respond but she just refused she refused to go on uh, on tape and talk with us and so like i wish that people you know some of the listeners had been able to hear some of those stories for instance you know
0: you know i think one of the the best points that you brought up in the podcast and something you just talked about right now is like what would tupac be today what would big be yeah. today and you look at life after their deaths right where uh, you brought this up on the podcast. Look at what P. Diddy has done. Look at what Jay-Z has done. Mm-hmm. About to be, you know, like billionaires, right? And really taking it to the next level. These two were the ones that were supposed to be that. And we just yeah. never got a chance to see what they would have done. Or do these guys that I just brought up, d- does none of this happen if both of those guys don't die? Like, Yeah. Uh,
2: That's an interesting point. Yeah, because, I mean, the thing is, is that, as you guys mentioned, that beef – the way that it ended shook a lot of people up and it really you know carried a pall not only over hip-hop but over the music industry and so you can see that when rappers now or whenever any musicians get into a fight or disagreement it only goes but so far right um for the most part among among the 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 big stars but yeah i mean you know you talk with people that knew them tupac probably would have been a 20 million 30 million dollar picture actor you know like, who knows what sort of art we were, you know, denied. Like, you know, most people that get into acting, they want to do directing. They want to do producing. Mm-hmm. So who knows what stories we miss. Biggie wanted to get into the business part of it. You know, Biggie Biggie directed a lot of Puffy's early rap career. Like, you know, but Puffy had that like late run in the 90s with all about the Benjamins and all that stuff. Like, Biggie was really in charge of a lot of that, from writing the rhymes, to stylizing, all that stuff. So who's to say that Biggie would not have been what Diddy is today um, as a result of all of that. So yeah, man, we were really, we were all denied a lot. Um, but, I mean, that's what happens anytime somebody young, you know, somebody dies young, right? Like, just, there's just this gap in what they, what we, what we know about them and what they could have been. And, um, you know, I, I always tell everybody, you know, when I was done at the end of the process, I was just profoundly sad. You know, I was proud of the work that we had done, but I was profoundly sad that it had ended that way. It just seemed so unnecessary. Um, so, yeah, yeah.
1: Along the same lines, Joel, and completely different uh, narratives. I think when people die, some people think we prop them up more, but I think we remember more as opposed to propping them up more. We we remember those amazing moments. The same can be said about the way we lost Kobe this year. Um, yeah, sure. One of the greatest ever to play. At, unfortunately, it took a huge tragedy for us to remember. Like this guy really was the baddest guy on the planet for a little bit.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I, it definitely goes both ways, right? Sometimes uh, premature death like elevates people who nec- who weren't, you know, they weren't necessarily, you know, icons or anything like that. But it can, you know, you can do a lot of mythology around somebody that dies young. But yeah, definitely with those guys, it was justified, and they um, we'll, we'll never know. And yeah, I mean, Kobe. You know, I, it, it's funny because when Kobe passed, I was never a huge Kobe fan. You know, as a basketball player, like I was like, the dude, Chucks and he's like, me and his teammates. And I thought he was a little bit overrated, kind of inefficient, you know. But, like, just going back over the films and hearing him talk about the game. And actually, you know, what really was affecting to me was hearing other basketball players talk about the, you know, the influence he had over them and how they approached the game and how much they respected him and wanted to impress him. Like, their peer. You know what I mean? They're supposed to be playing against Kobe. They're like, I wanted Kobe to know that I was good, too, so I could have his respect. And that's, like, a really powerful thing. So, yeah, man, I, you know, I... I gained a new appreciation for Kobe through his premature death. I mean, obviously it was a tragedy, but I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it. I get it. I get why people hold him in such high regard now. It makes so much more sense."
0: Yeah. So uh, I forgot to tell you this, but the way I listened to season three of Slow Burn, mm-hmm. um, I was driving, so I had to help my buddy move. So I drove to Atlanta. I helped oh. him move, right? Because I had some free time. So I was like, "Let's nice. do it." This is one of my like, this is my oldest friend. So. You know he guilt tripped me into it so I, I i did it but i i listened to the entire series on the drive and man that sadness that you talked about mm-hmm. i was like man i felt that at, at the end of the entire series when you binge the episodes which you need like you have to binge these these are awesome you. Uh, you feel that sadness and you just you start wondering so much man it's so impactful
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I I mean, I I don't know that I wanted to make everybody sad Mm -hmm. at the end of it, but that's the way it ended up. And yeah, that that eighth episode just kind of walking through how they you know, how Biggie was killed and their impact on 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 hip hop in the music industry. Man, it just it really affected me because when we finished the eighth episode, I was in Brooklyn like we had, you know, I live in California. So I had to go to Brooklyn to our studios there. And so I was staying in Bedstines. You know what I mean? Like I stayed at an Airbnb. And so I'm like walking down these streets every day and just thinking about, man, you know, I'm walking with Biggie by a walk. You know what I mean? Or you know, I'm I'm walking in his footsteps. And um yeah, man, it just it was really, really tough. Like I really I was really sad. It wasn't it didn't feel I I didn't it didn't feel celebratory when it was all over, yeah. you know.
1: Hey uh Joel, we're we're kind of reminiscing of late 90s sports and hip hop and music and whatnot. Uh, were you a big Tribe head? Because you said you weren't a Tupac oh. fan. Were
2: oh. You a big... oh, Tribe is how I got into hip hop, bro. There we uh, go. I remember. I remember where I was when I heard Tribe for the first time. My cousin from Chicago came down, picked me up with his friend Kwame. I'm in the back seat of their car. We're driving out to Baybrook Mall. I think it was Baybrook Mall, or maybe it was. It maybe it was. It, it, don't get. It, tell me if I'm wrong. Was there a mall called Alameda Mall? Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay day, so maybe yeah. maybe, we, maybe we were going to Alameda all and uh and we were, and he puts in uh oh man he puts in the uh, the low end theory and oh. i just i fell i fell in love like that was the first time i'd ever heard it i'd never heard a hip hop like that and that actually is what really really made me a hip hop head like i just i was such a i was such a jerk man you know what i'm saying i was like oh that's this is real hip hop right here like mm-hmm. all the stuff in houston you know right? you know screw and all that like i just I didn't become a fan of it until I was much older because I was such a snob. Because Tribe had made me a snob.
1: Yeah. I was, I was a snob too. And well, you'll know where this is going. Absolutely. So, oh. like, I grew up, like, I'm saying diehard Tribe fan. So, in 2001, when I moved to San Diego, I heard Fife was going to be performing there. Mm. So, I applied for a credential, even though I wasn't in the media at the time. <laughs> and his manager, DJ Rasta Dion, he he messaged me and he goes, dude, we don't do media credentials. You just want to come? I'll give you tickets. So I was like, all right, cool. And then Fife and I became friends. And Roots and I became friends. And we did a a video podcast 15 years ago together. Before these were a thing, Fife and I, because we had the same love for sports, I I somehow got invited to uh, San Diego street scene the very first time Tribe Called Quest performed again after the breakup in front of 70,000 fans. And I'm on stage with Tip, Ali, Fife is a uh, future wife. Like I and, and like I brought Fife to the studio for me and Raheel. Like it was yeah. an amazing. Like, are you kidding me? No, this is. Was... Over? Yeah,
0: and uh, we're like... still friends with Ross and Ruth. Like we, we, you know, like he, he's incredible. Like what he did and what what happened in Nunia there. Like so the, this is how it happens, right? Like your big brother always introduces you to something new. So for me, my rap experience was Tupac. It was Biggie, and I loved all of that, and my first experience with Tribe was from the Waynes Brothers. Um, they used for oh, season two yep, electric, electric Relaxation. relaxation. Yeah. Yep, yep, and yep. I love that song, but I never got into Tribe until I met David. And that's when I started binging through all of their work, and now I'm like him. And I regret like the experiences that I had with Fife. I didn't appreciate them as much as you guys would. But oh. now like look back and I'm like, that is one of the great greats of all time that i got a chance to just kick kick it with
2: oh, oh yeah
1: that's awesome this, this is crazy though i don't know why i'm telling this on the podcast but like i somehow got invited to his wedding in trinidad God, and i was are you serious yes <laughs> and i spoke at the wedding bro like oh, when <laughs> you, when you went and spoke at the wedding oh i spoke and they're like Damn. and here's five uh, uh sports partner david and like i'm talking like and i'm and like yeah like and then like when my wow. friend like he was at my house one year for New Year's Eve, and my friends walked in and like, that's freaking Fife dog. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, it was the weirdest thing, like it became like we were like buddies for a little short while. And uh you know, I I was always more of a tip guy than than Fife. And then cool. when I when I became buddies, if you will, with with Fife, I just saw the mastery in his lyrics and his delivery. And just what a great human being, and, and it is a huge loss uh, for for the music industry. And just so, yeah, I always I bring that up with tribe heads because it's kind of like the soccer culture in America.
2: Like when you find somebody that's in that world, you got to talk to them about, yep. you know. Oh, that. yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, that's so dope. So did you watch the doc? Did y'all watch the documentary then? Mm-hmm. The, the, yep. what, I mean, that was another thing that just made me sad. I don't know about y'all, but yeah. I just felt. Mm. I just felt like, you know, that that friendship, like maybe if if they'd had some sort of a mediator or somebody to come in and like bring them together that so much of the, the, you know, those last few years, man, they could have, you know, resolved a lot of that. It's just very sad.
1: They influenced everybody. And and Kanye, everybody talks about what Tribe meant to them. And 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 incorporating jazz
2: into into, into hip hop and all that stuff. And, you know, they even had me like recently listening to, um, like, listening to old jazz samples from their songs just so I could trace them, you know what I mean? And it just, yeah, art, like, Art Blakely and A Song for Boo was one of the one of the samples they used for one of their songs. I was like, nah, I'm into that, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah they, th- their influence is just so dope, man. Yeah, that that's a great, you should, like, do a, I don't know, man, if I had pictures, I'd, I'd be, like, right up there over my shoulder on your cabinet or well something. <laughs> hey, hold me. on, so, I got one right out here.
0: I'm going to bring go it to you. It. Yeah, go get go. it, go get it. To, I want to see this, man. This is incredible. Have you watched Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix yet? Man, I know man, there's so I, many things to I, watch. I, I, it's like, I'm, thank you for mentioning that
2: because I need to put it on my to do list because that's something I think I saw one of the episodes mm-hmm. um about Death Row, Um, but I haven't seen it because I, I it's research, right? Yeah, but I haven't seen it all. But I know that it's dope. Everybody has said it, it's great. But yeah,
0: yeah, the narrator and host Shad is phenomenal, man. He is so good at what he does and. Um, and the reason I bring it up and uh, with Tribe Called Quest, you, you find out like how they came to be mm-hmm. and why it was so important that their style had a chance to peak during yeah. all of this and why it was so important and who they influenced and how they were influenced as well. That episode is my favorite episode of Hip Hop Evolution. It's Oh, I got to so go, oh, go find man. it
2: now, man. It's on Netflix.
0: It's on Netflix. Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. I, I, yeah. I mean, we got number time, so I'm definitely. I know. Gonna, I'm just, we gonna got. Gonna
0: hit it up. I mean, I think it's three seasons. I uh, and they keep teasing the next season where he'll, you know, uh, he did he did an episode on Houston, and oh, who did you, so. Who did you interview in Houston. Uh, of course, Bun. Bun was a big part of it. Um, and then he went around, but Bun was the uh, most important one okay. in terms of the interview. And they traced everything. They talked about Screw and. Uh, um, it's so good, man. They 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 didn't leave any stone unturned, which was really important, right? You can't yeah. talk about all the stories, you can't talk about all the groups because that would take forever. Mm-hmm. But the important parts of the history are hit, and they talk to the right people, which is important.
2: See, that's what's up. I love when people do treat hip hop like that—that they treat it like an art form that is mm-hmm. demanding of respect, and you do like you know these his- historical deep dives and reporting. Because yeah, man, I. So many of these dudes are incredible. Like, you, um, you know, I I talked to somebody for Slow Burn, Kierna Mayo. She used to be an editor at uh, The Source and was the editor for Ebony Magazine for a number of years. So she went to school with Kucha, you know, and, they just talk, yeah. and you just talk about like how you could see their genius, even at a very young age. And, like all the, you know, all the, all you could, you could see them building towards something. They didn't quite know what it was, but they could see it even as a young, at a young age. So nah, man, yeah, that. Okay, now i got something else to add to my list. I've been you watching the Jeffrey uh, you know, uh mini-series, but now i got to mix in Hip Hop Evolution.
0: So. Absolutely. All right, Nuno, you got the right. picture?
2: So I got one. I don't know how it's going to look on laptop,
1: but this is one if I made a rap album in 2001 and then there was like a, a party scene afterwards. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, and in a, in a sports... Is that is that a Roy Williams jersey he's in, too?
1: Yeah, that was... So when I worked... I used to work for the Dallas Mavericks... Um, Fife did our our playoff anthem one year. He he did a whole rap to it with Dirk and Steve and uh, Nick what? Van Exel's name. Yeah, so he would come down, go to the games with me, and that was one of the the
2: nights. That's crazy. That's yeah. I didn't know you. Were, so what years were you in Dallas? Because I covered the well, not I was a sports writer and covered a few Mavs games. I didn't realize you were in Dallas then.
1: Yeah, I worked for the Mavs in uh, from '01 to '02, and then I came back midway through 02 through 04. So I was there for three three of those years. So the early years from Reunion to the first couple of years at American Airlines.
2: I, I I wrote a story back in the day for when they shut down Reunion and moved over to, uh, you know, whatever, American Airlines, whatever the hell it is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Dallas, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a Houstonian, so I'm you know not supposed to like Dallas. But Dallas is cool. It's fine. It's all right.
0: It's in
2: all right. In my 20s, I love Dallas's, like, when I used to drink and party and all that stuff,
1: Dallas was a heck of a uh, a, a town to go out and like a cosmopolitan feel. I'm a
2: Houston guy with the way the people are, though. I'm, I'm all about Houston people. Oh yeah, Houston people are dope. But yeah, Dallas is. I will give Dallas this. Dallas is prettier than Houston. Like this is just as the way that it looks and like the areas it has and all that stuff. Like I can get it. Like I'm like okay, the West End is prettier than whatever most of whatever we have in Houston. Though. But yeah,
1: it's like yeah. I work I at know. Channel 13. I'm gonna keep my gig and I'm gonna say Houston. Is the most pretty city, uh, so the prettiest city I've ever
2: seen. I can't, I'm not going to let y'all, you know, y'all can lie to yourselves. You know, yeah, it's so that, pretty.
0: You've wild. never seen, you've never seen Terry Hershey Park uh, with the sunset. It's so beautiful. Okay,
2: I can't believe <laughs> I didn't even hear, wait, Terry Hershey, I've
0: never been out there. Oh, man. Hey, speaking of Houston, uh, let's talk about Houston real quickly before we let you go. Your favorite restaurant in Houston, if you can think of one right now.
2: Well, I mean, this is going to seem so lame, but. Um, whenever I go home, me and my family we do Papacitos, bro. Like I just I grew up on Papacitos, you know, and whenever I come home, I eat there at least once or twice every time. Um and yeah, I just you know when I explain to people when I was growing up, it is it's not like I we went to a whole bunch of different restaurants growing up. And so you had a few mainstays. Yep. Papacitos is one of those joints, and then when you come home, all these other new restaurants pop up. Well, I don't want to take a chance and eat something that I don't like. I want to get the stuff that I'm used to, right? So uh, definitely, yeah, papasitos. I'm sorry for being lame.
0: But that's that's No, it. you're right, though. That Like, same with my parents, right? There's a handful of restaurants that they trusted, and that's where we grew up eating. And nobody took adventurous restaurant journeys, right, back then, right. especially <laughs> right. with, with being a lower-middle-class family. You're not wasting – with four kids, by the way, you're not wasting money to go to a new joint that's not good. You're going oh. to the – Tried and true place.
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean, dude, when I was growing up, like in Mo-, Mo City, they had a Red Lobster in Stafford, and uh, that's where we went. Like that's that's the restaurant we went out to whenever we went out to. And like people uh, will clown you for like a Red Lobster, but I'm like, you know, there weren't all these other restaurants like there are now. Back then, you know, that's where you went, and uh, that's how I got us. That's you know, that's what we would get. Our, go out and get our, our you know our fast food and our little you know. I'm sorry, our, our seafood. So seafood. Yeah, man. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, hey, man. man. Yeah, This
2: has been fun, Joel. I hope we can do it again, my man. Oh, man, thanks for having me on, real. It was a pleasure.
0: Man, yeah, thank we'll- you again. Yeah. Uh, follow Joel on Twitter, by Joel Anderson. You can look up all his work on Slate right now. Uh, slow Burn Season 3 and all the other uh, Slow Burn seasons are available right now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yo, I got I got our next video podcast series for all three of us we're going to do a deep dive into what created Tribe call quest the division the breakup but our version not
2: the michael rapaport we can do much better than the rapaport person so just let me know i'm in let's (laughs) do
0: it thank you so much joe
2: i appreciate it thanks thank you that was fun real
1: great guest there man i'm happy we did first off Man, we just we we're all on the same energy level, same interest. Uh, his his info, his breakdowns, I I, I loved yeah. it. So thank you. I told for you, dude. That up.
0: Joel is one of us. He's a he's a Houston kid. He's, uh, you know he he gets what we're interested in, and we're interested in what he's interested in. And when I heard uh, when I heard Slow Burn season three that podcast, I couldn't believe how great it was, man. Like, cause that's a such a a deep topic to get into and not leave you know parts unturned all that they they tackled everything and they explained it so well so as soon as i heard that i was like we need to talk to him on the podcast and uh you'll love the podcast so make sure you check it out okay you... yeah go ahead oh, no no, you go you go i was gonna say we only have a couple more minutes here so let's talk about what you're working on and i'm sorry i missed your rant in the the beginning of it my wife i didn't rant you I didn't just... do the rant
1: I went into autopilot. Let me get my guest on real quick because I got nothing to talk about. Uh, To me, a rant needs to have like some back and forth. Bro, a couple things. I don't want to get any more text messages for people running for office and my opinion on this race. And like I didn't – I have opted out of every governor, uh, senator, county official. Why are you texting me? I didn't sign up for your your text messages. Hey, I want to get your thoughts on the upcoming runoff. No. You don't want my opinion because I don't have an opinion. In fact, if you text me, I'm voting against you even if I liked you before.
0: Yeah, right. it's I it, I guess it's public data, right? Is that how they get your text message information? Do they buy it from Sir? Cuz I'm so confused cuz I've been getting so many of those and it, let frankly, look, I'm a little bit more bored than you are. So I engage with the people, I'm like, "How'd you get this information? Wh- who are, where are you texting from right now?" And I'll start asking questions and they never respond. So that makes me angry. What also makes me angry is angry people on the internet. Okay. Expand.
1: If your name is anything but your name, you're probably going to say something mean. That's just the way I roll. If your name is I uh, like ilikesportstexan.com on Twitter, you're probably going to say something that's going to upset me. Because that, that's just a fact. If I tweet out about the Houston's World Cup soccer bid and your response is calling it kickball and I hate soccer – There are many movies that I am not interested in. I don't have to tweet my hate for every movie I'm not interested in. There's politicians I don't like. I don't feel the need with an anonymous name on the Internet to go after every topic that I don't like. Why be rude? Now, there are time and a, a, a place for opinions. You don't want the World Cup in our city? State your reasons. Fine. But just to attack people, like, I'm not a tennis guy. Our good friend Ken Hoffman loves it. I appreciate the sport. I appreciate the fans. It's just not for me. doesn't mean I won't report on It doesn't mean that I won't go to a match. It's just not my favorite thing to do, but I don't have to destroy it.
0: Yeah, you don't go out of your way when you see something on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. You don't post something hateful about it just because you don't like it. It's so weird why we do that. And my theory is because life is so good for some people – that they have this freedom and this energy to go ahead and hate on everything because they can that's why this happens like literally um, you know what sometimes I, I i don't have that energy i don't you know what i don't want to do i don't want to hate on stuff because i frankly don't have the energy nor the time sometimes right and that's why i just if i see something i don't like guess what i do i just keep moving you know what you mm-hmm. know what the world doesn't care about is things i don't like
1: Man, I am reading a lot of people hate sports uh, on the Facebook feed. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know how this show does so well with so much hate towards sport. Like, oh, we don't need it. Uh, if you can protest, you can play sport. Like, look, look, I'm just asking questions. Like, this, yeah. not everything has to be politicized. Not everything is about a mass. Look, if we can do things safe, let's do them. If you can't, don't do them. Real simple mm-hmm. to me. It's as simple as that. Real simple.
0: I love it. That's it. I mean, it's that simple, honestly. Uh, what stories are you working on?
1: So I went and shot today a story of um, a lady who got colon cancer. And uh, she literally was – she was an athletic person, but not her life wasn't dedicated to fitness. Gets colon cancer. She has surgery. And then within 30 days of surgery, she's running five miles a day. So she's now like a fitness – I don't want to use the word freak. I think there's a negative connotation. But she's a fitness enthusiast, if you will. She's training for an Ironman. She's kind of bodybuilding at the same time. It's uh, it's a very empowering and uh, inspirational story. I'm going to run that this weekend. Uh, obviously, I am all into what's going on with the sports that are going on right now over there in Europe. Really into what's happening in in the soccer world there. Uh, and, uh, you know, following what the Astros are doing. They they, they had their virtual practice. I think it was starting today at 1.30. Um, I have uh, the Rockets hitting... Orlando today leaving today so you know we're, we're we're on top of everything that's happening wondering if any kind of Texas training camp is really going to happen in two or three weeks
0: yeah I can't believe that that training camp is supposed to start on the 31st right I believe that's the date the first date for it a lot of stuff is stuff starting up on the 31st and we're not sure like how that's going to look if they're even going to have it and by the way like every time to- every day every hour every minute there's a new story about you know this team tested this many players and this many tested positive or this many tested negative it's going to change so much every single minute man it's uh it's kind of hard to see a world where we have all sports back but we'll see man it's going to be it's going to be wild here uh as you mentioned the rockets do uh they do head to orlando so as soon as they get there they're going to get their tests they're going to be in quarantine as well so we're not even sure, like, you know, then we'll find out some of the numbers. We'll see how many people test positive or negative and all that good stuff when it comes to the testing. But we will be – we're trying to work on a story from the bubble as well. So we'll keep you posted for those of you that are watching.
1: Yeah, man. Hey, uh, look, I understand that it's not essential, um, but if, if you can come up with a way – a bubble to make it work. I say, make it work. Uh, if you can make a bubble work for kids going to school, make it work. Now I don't think that's a realistic world because I want my kids in my house and I want to have control of them. Um, but if you can make something work, let's do it. I think it's uh, like, I I go to my kid's soccer practice and it's so therapeutic for me. You forget about being outdoors, seeing sports, the social aspect, even if it's done now it is getting, it's feeling unsafe here in Houston. Believe what you want you want to say that people are blaming everything on corona and that you know hey that's a hang no that's not corona whatever but, but i tend to be on the more cautious side um especially with older parents and i and i think at the end of the day it's not necessarily about people with amazing um microbiome and in the ability to fight off diseases it's about everybody like who we come into contact affects others
0: that's it right there and that's why it's so important man that you know we be careful with uh what we do every day and then as a society what are we doing because it's impacting everyone and that's it right there
1: do you think whenever we go back to the newer normal whatever that may be you know do you think it's 6 months away we're healed do you think it's a year away is it a couple of years away i mean when are we going to be able to go back and if we want to hug people which i don't want to um mm-hmm. handshake people like i love now that i don't have to handshake people like i'm i'm like You know, I do the elbows like your elbow guy.
0: I see. I miss, I miss handshakes and you know, bring it in for a hug. I miss that.
1: Touch their nose. Everybody does this. Yeah, and and then they use the restroom and maybe they wash their hands, maybe they don't. You know, they touch a door that eighteen other people like. But
0: they're as clean as possible now. Now, right now, everyone is as clean as possible. Right, like everyone's heightened security of uh, being aware of their germs and what they're spreading. Right now is the perfect time for you to embrace a hug.
1: No, I, I, if they
0: have no, a mask on, if they have a mask on.
1: No, they have to have a a, a brand new mask and brand new gloves. There's no reason, and then, like my kids hugs, my wife hugs, my Nuno family and godmother family hugs. Beyond that, what's up?
0: <laughs> Elbows. I, did, elbows. I, did I
1: tell you who was it that I shook hands with? I think I told you the story on the show. And I was like, ah, oh, in the middle of the handshake, I'm like, ah, oh, what? I just like, I, I forgot. Like, ah, it was an athlete, somebody I saw, and I was like, ah. It was Adrian Peterson, whoever it was. It was like oh, I shouldn't have done this. This is not right.
0: Yeah, uh, you. Have, but you have you have your sanitizer on you, right? Immediately. In my afterwards?
1: car, absolutely, and I put it in my pocket when I go to shoots, absolutely.
0: I have more hand sanitizer around now than I've ever had in my life. And I, I was
1: showering if I could. No. <laughs> it's all cold and like.
0: You feel so clean? I love it. Oh, man. All right. Uh, We are done. Make sure you watch everything that David is working on. Uh, The 9 p.m. on CW. And, of course, you've got newscasts throughout the day starting at 3, let's see, four, five, six, the 9 on CW, and then 10 at night.
1: Sounds like 24 hours, Raheel. Sounds like every hour. Hey, and with social media and the internet, we're on... All time,
0: baby. I love it. I love it. All right. uh, Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And make sure you follow us across all platforms. We will talk to you next time.
1: Maybe.